Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we get to read from Exodus chapter 13, and we have a couple of topics we want to pick up on from yesterday still, those being the connection of the Old Testament Passover with the New Testament Passover that is Jesus Christ, and then the idea of parents teaching their children. So we'll keep those topics before us today. But we read, Yahweh said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand Yahweh brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when Yahweh brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to Yahweh. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what Yahweh did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of Yahweh may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand Yahweh has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When Yahweh brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, You shall set apart to Yahweh all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be Yahweh's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem, and when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand Yahweh brought us out of Egypt, from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, Yahweh killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to Yahweh all the males that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or your frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand Yahweh brought us out of Egypt. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And Yahweh went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. This is the word of the Lord. So we have a couple of times in this chapter a discussion around the idea of consecration of the firstborn. So that word consecrate in English means to make something holy or to set it apart. So God has called all the firstborn 
whether a, a child or an animal, he is calling them all his. They are to be set apart for him. Now, what that means, we see more specifically mentioned down in the, I guess that's technically the third paragraph, um, the paragraph that began with verse 11. So the animals and the, the children are treated differently. Um, the, the animals are to be offered as a sacrifice to the Lord. However, if you wish to keep that animal, for example, a donkey is used in the text, you offer a lamb as a sacrifice in its place. So again, the goal here is that we would acknowledge that everything belongs to the Lord. And the firstborn son and the firstborn animal very specifically is then used as the reminder of that for the people from this point forward. Now, the, the firstborn son, you cannot sacrifice. You, you, that is not the, the way of God's people. You don't kill your children, although this is certainly the way of other cultures, including our own culture today, but that's a different conversation. So the firstborn son would have to be redeemed a lamb sacrificed in his place. This is a good reminder of the Passover and also a reminder for us as Christians. We think of the New Testament. We think of the Passover lamb that is Jesus. So that's a good opportunity for us to go ahead and make that connection. We ran out of time to do yesterday. Um, so the, the Old Testament feast of the Passover, celebration of the Passover, the exodus from Egypt, is remembered and observed by Israel for generations until Christ comes. And the pattern would be that the head of the household would teach at the, the meal, uh, the big Passover meal, the head of the household would tell the Exodus story to his family. And so as a child growing up, you hear it again and again and again every year uh, in order that you're equipped then when you have your own family someday to be able to tell them the story too. And Jesus, as the head of the disciples, shares the Passover story with his disciples. They celebrate the Passover together a couple of times. And then finally, during that year when Christ would be crucified, as they gather to celebrate the Passover, instead of telling them the Passover account as they're used to hearing it, he shifts the focus to himself. I mean, imagine if all of a sudden your family's traditions around Christmas or Easter or something like that were, were completely changed. The story that you had heard all your life turned into something else entirely. That's what Christ did to the disciples. So the, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, is a monumental event um, in their lives, but also in the life of the church ever since. It is our Passover meal. As Christ on the cross passed over our sins, he is the lamb that was shed for us. His blood covers our sins so that God does not strike us down in his wrath. And this is the beauty of it. And because we have Christ's Passover, we no longer need the Old Testament Passover. That's why we don't, as the church, celebrate the Passover today. You can have, they call it a Seder meal. Some churches like to do those. There's a bit of a historical value to them, to be able to see what the Jewish culture even today might still do. But we have no need for the Old Testament Passover. Christ has fulfilled it and given us himself to be our Passover lamb. Now, in both the second and the third paragraphs, so let's see, that's verse 8, 
verse 14, we see the repetition here of how the father is to teach his son about the faith. And this is such a major and important concept in scripture. um, And we see it unpacked in other places as well. But dads, it's your job. This is what God has given you to do. Teach your children about him, that they may know him, that they may know what he's done for them. And so in this Old Testament context, before Christ has come, you know, we're talking about the history of God's people, all the great things he's done for them. And at this point, one of the greatest things he's done is that Passover. And so you're telling your kids these things all the time. You're using these events in their life uh, to teach them. So, you know, you think of a a farmer uh, who raises livestock and how many times he's going to have a new animal giving birth, uh, a new female giving birth for the first time. And every time that happens, they have to make a sacrifice. The sons are going to notice. They're going to ask the question at some point. They're going to want to know why. And here's your opportunity to teach. The Passover is an annual feast. Here's your opportunity to teach. Regular, everyday, regular life moments being used to teach our children about faith. Deuteronomy 6 is really going to build on that. If you want to learn some more, uh, Deuteronomy 6 suggests that we're teaching our children the faith. We're teaching them about God all the time. So that's our role as a father. I've got the Lord has blessed me with children, and so I get to share the faith with them. I get to let them know who Jesus is and what he's done for them in their life. All right, as we look a little bit more details here, um, Moses tells the people, remember this day. And we can ask our children, by what strong hand has God brought us out of slavery? And what were we slaves to? We were slaves of sin. And the strong hand is the hand outstretched on the cross by which Christ has redeemed us. Now, in verse 4, you see the month of Abib mentioned. Uh, That's the first month of the year for them. And then in verse 5, you get the list of all the the tribes inhabiting the promised land, which is shorter here than it was back in chapter 3. In chapter 3, it was six tribes. We're missing the parasites in this one. Uh, we're also missing the Girgashites that get lumped into the list in other places in Scripture. Now, the promise of this promised land to their fathers was given back in Genesis chapter 17, verse 8, that it would be flowing with milk and honey as a promise of abundance, uh, that God would provide for his people. He would care for all of their needs. Now, we just talked about verse 8. Eight a little bit ago, the idea of telling our sons um, and sharing that past with them. You can do this today with Christmas. It's very much the same thing. What What is Christmas about? Why do we celebrate Christmas? It's not about Santa or presents or uh, lights on a tree. It's about Christ. It's about what Christ did for us, that he took, God himself took on flesh, stepped down into his creation to save us. And it's a wondrous opportunity. And that's why we celebrate the things we celebrate is they're ongoing, regular reminders for us. We have, well, as of now, I've I've recently ordered a wall calendar that focuses on the church calendar Uh, And I'll be hanging it up in my house for my children to be able to see where we are in the church here all the time. So we can keep that before them, continue to talk about all these things that point us to Jesus. 
That's the point of the church calendar. It's what it does. Um, you see in verse 9, and also, oh, that's down later as well. Hmm, which verse was that again? Anyway, verse 9, this idea of, of something. Oh, it's verse 16. Verse 9 and 16, this idea of the, the sign on your hand and between your eyes. This seems to be a reference to the phylacteries uh, that the Jewish people made these little boxes and they inscribed God's word on these tiny scrolls and put them in the boxes. Um, they would wear those on a headband that would wrap around their head and the box would be centered on the forehead. Or they would wrap them on their wrist like a bracelet and that box would sit then uh, against their forearm. And these things had God's law in them so that they would constantly remember the law of God. Uh, they would constantly remember the word of God. And as we see then in verse 9, that the, the law of Yahweh may be in your mouth, that we would speak of these things, that we would teach each other about these things, that the faith in Christ that we have as God's people today would constantly be before us, not just a, a one hour a week thing at church, not just a thing that we have compartmentalized in our mind where faith only impacts um, certain things. I mean, that's what we hear from our culture. And that's changing too, but for the last generation or so, probably the culture has said, it's okay for you to be a Christian, to have your faith, but it's got to be kept over there. You have to keep it in your church box. And when you leave church, you have to leave it behind. You cannot bring this Christian thing into your workplace. You cannot bring your Christian thinking into a school. Don't do that. Now, they're turning on that now, too. I think they want to see our churches gone altogether. But that's a different conversation again. This is, this is the reminder that that push from our culture, that generation, is not true. Always, always, always is Christ to be on our lips and on our minds. That's what life's about. Christ for you, Christ for your neighbor. Don't lose sight of that. All right, uh, verse 17 changes the, the nature of the chapter a little bit. We see God leading the people of Israel, and he's going to do so by the pillar of fire, by the pillar of cloud that you see down in verse 21. Uh, that is God present in their midst. This is literally God appearing before them, uh, choosing to appear in the ways that he does. And he guides them. So when they see the pillar move, they move. When the pillar comes to rest, they get to stop to rest. And it ends up being like that for 40 years. That hasn't happened yet. We haven't gotten that far, but it's coming. God is present with his people is a major takeaway from that. Now, as we look at the kind of the directions that are mentioned here, the direct route from Egypt to the promised land would have been to just basically have walked along the Mediterranean Sea. So Egypt is on the southern border and Israel is on the eastern border. And so you just have to, if you're looking at a map, you just have to walk your way across the northern part of the Sinai Peninsula and then wrap your way off to the north and you'd be heading to Israel. However, that land that you would have to cross through belongs to the Philistines and they've been a major enemy of God's people. Well, that's coming. They will be a major enemy of God's people in the years to come. And God knows that the people's faith is weak. And if he were to take them through the Philistine territory, they would rebel against him and they would seek to go back to Egypt. So God chooses instead to take them a different direction. Instead of leaving Egypt, 
hitting the Sinai Peninsula and heading east along the Mediterranean Sea, they head south. If you're looking at a picture of the Sinai Peninsula, it looks kind of like a triangle. And down at the bottom, you've got the Red Sea, but out of the northern part of the Red Sea, you've got these two different smaller seas that are sticking out, one on the left, one on the right, kind of framing that triangle that is the Sinai Peninsula. It almost looks like bunny ears on the map if you want to talk about it that way with your kids. But instead of going east, again, across the top of the the, the Sinai Peninsula, they're going to end up walking down the west coast, um, that western bunny ear, uh, as they head down towards the Red Sea. And then they're going to come upward again to what ends up being called Etham, which is really almost at the base of that little bunny ear section. So they've started some wanderings. They are going to continue wandering as as we see. We've got a lot of places that are going to be mentioned in our text tomorrow, so we'll look at those as well. Uh, this was just looking up Sukkoth and Etham on a map today, and that's what you can find if you'll if you do that, type in Old Testament map and type in those names. It's one of the first images that popped up when I searched for it, at least. So it's always a helpful thing to to see the geography of the place at any given time. So God leads them that way. And they're equipped for battle. That's an interesting note in verse 18 there. You can ask your children, will they have to battle? Right? There's a battle coming up as Pharaoh is going to chase them down and pin them against the sea. There's a battle coming, but do they actually have to fight that day? Not at all. God fights for them and destroys Egypt's army. That's coming. We're a day away. Now, the other note here is the faith of Joseph in verse 19. This is a reference back to Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 and 25. As Joseph died, he told his brothers, he told the people what was going to happen with their time in Egypt and that they would be delivered from there. They would be brought up to the land that God had promised them uh, to their forefathers. Uh, It's just a symbol of wonderful faith that Joseph trusted that promise would be true. And all those generations later, that God would act as God said he would. And Joseph wanted his body to be taken to be with that new land that had been promised he wanted to eventually get there. Now, in the end, where Joseph's bones would be doesn't ultimately matter, but the faith that he shows and and God fulfilling and keeping that promise is quite, quite a thing to notice. And for us as his people today, as God's people, to have faith like that, that God's promises that he has made to us of forgiveness and life and salvation and paradise, that we would have such a faith in those things to be true. It's life-changing. Literally, it is life-changing. Christ has done it for us, and we get to share it with one another. Is there-